Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about everything from the anime series to the model kits to the movies to even the manga. Oh, yeah. Oh, the manga. What are we talking about today, Isaac? Today, we're actually talking about a manga. This is our first time talking about a manga. For uh, those of you not in the know, a manga is a Japanese comic book, essentially, a graphic novel. <laughs> and today, we'll be talking about Mobile Suit Gundam F90. We thought it would be a good idea to take a trip into the UC Next 100 Years, because that's where Gundam is going, based on right. the Next 100 project. So we thought we should go there, too. One of the earlier mangas to come out in the you know next 100 years of the Universal Century is Gundam F90. Uh, this manga was published in 1990 to 1991. It's eight chapters, so it's pretty short. Uh, basically, it, it was compiled into one volume. And then it also spawned a, a line of model kits at the, at the time. Uh, and it is set in UC-0120. So a little bit before uh, the movie Gundam F91. Essentially a generation after, really, the conclusion of anything involving Neo Zeon and Char and Char's counterattack. So uh, enough time has gone by. <laughs> I don't want to say it's a clean slate, but it's definitely after all the noise. Uh, it's a new chapter. We'll yeah. say that. It's a <laughs> new chapter. New faces, new chapters, new Gundam. <laughs> yeah. So I had not read Gundam F90 prior to you know reading it for this podcast. Had you read it before, Isaac? No, no. I vaguely, I vaguely knew a little bit about it, very little. Um, but I wasn't specifically sure if what I knew was about F90 or some other, you know, one of the one of the other mangas for Gundam or something. But yeah, <laughs> this was my first time reading it. I went into it more or less blind. Yep, same with me. I mean, I had yeah. whatever I knew about F90 was, you know, from reading about the mobile suits, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago on uh, MAHQ. So it was it was fun to actually you know read the actual story and be like, oh, that's that's what happens. Yeah, going into it though, like, what what did you think before you read it? If I could ask, like, did you have any preconceived ideas about what it would be about? Um, no. I mean, I I knew that it was about something to do with the Mars Eon or the Oldsmobile Army. Um, okay. And that it was a, a prologue or prequel uh, to Gundam F nine one. And clearly, I mean, if if you're a fan of Gundam and you've seen the movie Gundam F nine one, and you see a manga called Gundam F ninety then clearly it, it's named to show that it's a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of self-explanatory. I don't know. I could, I thought I confused this with another one. I was like, oh, I remember Mars Zeon and like the old mobile army, but they must be something else. You know, Gundam F90, the bad guys must be Crossbone Vanguard or something. Mm. But no, Crossbone Vanguard doesn't even show up in this, in this series at all. Nope, not at all. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Maybe they wanted to put sort of the... Um, the, the final note, just the final end on anything remotely Xeon, like all that's left are some guys on, on Mars. Like literally, this is the end. <laughs> yep. I, I don't know. To me, I thought it was kind of refreshing to go in not knowing anything about a Gundam series. I think if you've seen a lot of the anime over the years and you know, you've know you done enough research, you kind of pick up a lot of things about maybe even some of the anime series that you don't that you have not seen. You, you, you sort of end up knowing a lot about it before you start it. Uh, if you don't watch it when it comes out. So I thought, thought it was kind of uh, fun to you know read a Gundam story that I didn't know anything about. Yeah, absolutely. And um, not to disappoint any listeners, but 
Gundam manga aren't very high on my list of things to consume that's Gundam related. <laughs> I really kind of prefer, you know, the, mo- the the movies, the models, OVAs, anime series, whatever. But yeah, I'm not too big on the mangas. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because, well, I don't know why, for whatever reason. So I went into this blind and I had a really good time reading it, Brian. I'm really glad we thought we decided to do this because this was a fun story. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it was a fun story. Um, it was very self-contained, which I enjoyed. You didn't yes. need to know too much uh, history about Gundam to enjoy it, I, I, I don't think. You definitely would have picked up on a lot of stuff if you did. Um, but it was, yeah. you know, eight chapters sort of in and out. Real, you know, didn't, didn't overstay its welcome. On that note, Isaac, I don't think that Gundam mangas are high on a lot of people's lists, especially ones like this one from 1990. <laughs> right? Right. Um, if you're if you're sitting here in the year 2020 and you and you're looking for a new manga to read, generally you're not looking for one that's 30 years old. Generally people are going to, you know, be reading the newer um, new things that come out every week, uh, the newer big series. So, I was thinking should we do a quick sort of like plot rundown because whereas a Gundam anime series maybe a lot of listeners have seen. I don't think a lot of people have read Gundam F90. Probably not, and that's a brilliant idea. Let's give them a, a synopsis. Yeah, go for it, Brian. Okay. All right. So the story opens in UC-0120. We, we see a transport ship called the Kobayashi Maru, which is clearly a Star Trek reference. Um, <laughs> and it, it's sort of it's a transport ship. I believe it's coming back from, from Jupiter. And it gets sunk by sort of unseen mobile suits sort of suddenly. They're they're kind of just going along, I and then the Minovsky. So weird. <laughs> it was very odd. Yeah, I don't really know that that was even needed in the story. I guess it was just to establish that there is a a new threat out there. Because, like you said, this would it's been a while since Neo Zeon, the last Neo Zeon uprising, and so it should sort of be a time of peace. So, yeah, um, I guess for the first you know few pages, they wanted us to kind of I don't know hold our breath as far as who the enemy could be. You know, who could have done this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we fast forward, I think it's three days, and we see our three sort of protagonists who, who have great 90s names, I must say. Uh, <laughs> sort of the, I'll call him the main protagonist. His name is yeah. Def Stallion. I mean, wow, last name Stallion. <laughs> Love that right there off the bat. <laughs> yeah. You got his pal Sid Amber, and they are piloting two... Gundam F90s, which I thought was actually a really cool visual, given that you yeah. don't often see two Gundams right away in the same in the same sort of show. Right, I guess they're, they're kind of routine at this point in the uh, <laughs> in the Federation military. No, no, but they're actually just testing them. But I mean, I guess it kind of I don't know gives you a wink and like a nudge, like oh, there's two Gundams here, you know, and they're <laughs> training together. I wonder what's going to happen later on. <laughs> So. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that the plot in this will surprise anyone, but that doesn't necessarily take away from its quality. So yeah, and the third protagonist we meet during this test mission is uh, Navi. She's a girl. I don't know that she has a la- or she has a given last name in the story, but she is piloting a gun ST or an ST gun, which is basically a, just a the Jagan uh, modified for reconnaissance. Has this kind of like yeah. dorky looking, I don't know, head head attachment on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, what, I forgot what her full title is. I think she's like tactical analyst or something. Something, something a tactical analyst would fly in combat. <laughs> right. During this test mission, they get ambushed by what the manga refers to as the Oldsmobiles, uh, which 
you know, it is sort of a term that in our world people would use to refer to old cars. And why is that, Isaac? What, where are they? Who are they being attacked by? <laughs> They're being attacked by Xeon remnants that fled to Mars. So these guys, I mean, they they clearly didn't take a factory with them so they can't just pump out new designs of mobile suits so what they have are just old mobile suits from not even not even shards counterattack i mean sure they have a few of those but they have like original zakus and stuff like that um yeah. i think I, they have rick doms so these are like one-year war type suits so i think xeon clearly sent some fleet or a few ships to mars way back when and these guys have been there ever since. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the yeah. first one we see is a, is a Rick Dom. And so when I saw that, I smiled because I was like, oh, well, Isaac will, will at least like the manga at this point. Yeah, right I remember. I was like, ah, a Rick Dom. <laughs> I like these guys already. <laughs> that first sort of test flight goes sort of poorly for our heroes. Sid ends up, his suit kind of malfunctions a bit. And he, he ends up getting out of his suit, which is probably a bad idea during combat. Um, but he does shoot out the Dom's like eye, which you know I guess that's impressive. Things are looking bad for them, and then the Gundam F90's capital ship shows up. It's a Rock High Loom class, the Admiral Tianum. Um, oh, I love that name. I when I read that, I was like, oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> that guy did so much work in the One Year War. They should name a ship after him. <laughs> it only makes sense, right? We saw the General Rebel. Yeah. Uh, back in Unicorn, and so it, it makes sense to see an Admiral uh, Tianum ship. There you go. Uh, and so when that ship shows up, you know, the Oldsmobiles, uh, they retreat, uh, probably not wanting to get, you know, wasted um, right. by this very advanced, uh, you know, capital ship compared to their their Zaku-2, their Rickdom, and uh, their Gelgoog, I believe. <laughs> right, <laughs> so yeah. probably a smart smart idea on their on their part. Sid and Def, they, and, and Navi, they retreat back to the Admiral Tianum. And they and, and the Admiral Tianum ends up docking at the Frontier One colony inside four, where the Earth Federation is now sort of set up a base of operations to make the next generation of mobile suits. Uh, and right. their goal is to make them smaller and faster. And what is that place uh, called, Isaac? SNRI is the uh, Strategic Naval Research Institute. It's pretty much the replacement for Anheim Electronics. <laughs> Apparently, somebody with common sense at the top of Federation government realized Anaheim Electronics couldn't be trusted, you know, to to hold a, a book of matches. <laughs> so they decided to finally make their own military research institute that can create mobile suit designs, Gundam designs, and um, would be more or less under the, the military's direct control. <laughs> And that's yeah. what we get, the SNRI. And the first thing they build are miniature mobile suits. In that first battle with the old Xeon mobile suits, the F-90 is noticeably smaller, but it's also more maneuverable. So I thought that was pretty cool. There's actually kind of a funny scene where I think a Gelgoog is like holding <laughs> the <laughs> F-90 from behind. And it looks like, I don't know, it looks like somebody like holding their little brother up or something. <laughs> The F90s are probably what two thirds the size of a normal suit. Like they're it's noticeably right. smaller. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like if the Gelgoogs look like basketball players, and then the <laughs> the F90s were average height people. <laughs> yeah, that's the closest. Yeah. Unless you look at the comic, that's the closest comparison I can give to people. <laughs> so once back inside the you know the the Tianum and they're inside four, they get new orders. To basically seek out the the Mars Eons base on Mars and kind of destroy it, 
Um, so, you know, this again, this manga moves real quick. We went from one sort of attack to go wipe them out at their base. <laughs> so uh, you know, very, very swift orders here from the Federation government. One thing I did like about this manga, Isaac, is they did not sort of just jump to Mars, right? And and that's because Mars is pretty far, given our yeah. technology or the technology in the Universal Century. You know, we don't Universal Century does not have, you know, light speed travel or or nope. you know sub you know even like what people would call sub light speed travel, uh, that's like very fast. So they they go okay, let's go to Mars, and they say okay, well it's gonna take um, how long three they months. Say? It was like yeah. They, they gave an exact time frame. They're like, yeah. oh, it's going to be three months and like six weeks or something like that. Yeah. So that, I thought that was really cool. That was a really good realistic take on it. And while they were here, one big part of the story, which becomes important later, is uh, their commander, Bosch, tells them that he helped Amuro push back Axis in a GM3, which wow. was pretty cool. I, I would say that's a good way to have a callback to an older series. What did you think about that line, Isaac? I thought that was pretty brilliant because we don't really get things like that very often where somebody was at a specific battle and then also can name like somebody was there at the same time. Right. I mean, you, you never yeah. really hear Gato saying, you know, Oh, I was flying with Shar at Solomon or something like that. Right. That never happens. Right. Or, right. Oh yeah, me and Dozel were <laughs> mopping him up. Um, <laughs> it, it's very rare. So for him to name drop Amaro, that was cool. And then for him to also refer to that he was actually there means I felt like it really tied into how forward into the future we are because that meant Bosch would have had to been an ensign or some type of, you know, low ranking cadet, right? Just a right. a grunt pilot. And then mm-hmm. now he's commanding his own little squadron. So clearly he he moved up the ranks. Yeah, he's definitely a yeah. senior officer at this point. Yeah. So on their way to Mars, the, the sort of the first suspicious thing happens in this series. And it's in the chapter called Suspicion. No coincidence. <laughs> Um, But the the Admiral Tianum, along with the fleet, they they didn't just go alone. They took a fleet to to go destroy this base. They hit a mine, like like an explosive mine in in space, in a random location in space. And our hero Navi, she seems a little bit suspicious about this. And so she does some research and figures out the odds of, of hitting a random mine is super low, especially like a moving ship. So she concludes that the Marzion must know the location of this fleet and must know that they're coming and that there is a traitor on board. So at this point, Isaac, who did you think the traitor was? <sighs> I thought it was one of the pilots. I don't know how or I don't know. I thought maybe Sid. <laughs> but that, I thought the same. I thought the yeah. same. I thought Sid getting out of his mobile suit. Also... In the first in the first battle, I thought was very suspicious, and I also thought the captain seemed a, a bit suspicious. I don't know how to pronounce his name, Novotnoy or something like that. I thought it was like Novotony. Novotony, okay, um, maybe. Yeah. But um, that makes yeah, way more I sense think, than Novotny, by the way. <laughs> right? I think they they drew the captain in a way that we would suspect him because in a few panels he looks a little sinister. He does. Like, I mean, there's something else going on there that we kind of get to, but yeah. um. <laughs> Also, man, he just looked like a bit of a sinister guy. I wasn't sure if, oh, this is going to be our, our bright Noah. No, no, it's not. <laughs> not at but, all. Um, yeah, my, my two leading contenders were Captain. I don't know how that worked, how he ended up being a traitor. Or um, Sid, who also, you know, really, this is the traitor. This is who they're relying on. <laughs> so. Yeah, inept Sid. Because not only did, he, did they draw him to be sinister, uh, but he sort of 
didn't really care about Navi when she told him about her theory. So you know, not caring about the the lives of the crew um, right. definitely made you suspect him for sure. Yeah, exactly. So then they finally arrive at Mars after doing some training, and they plan a, an attack, a very elaborate re-entry attack going into the Mars atmosphere. We're very quickly told that the Mars Zion space is basically inside Olympus Mons, which is a you know, big mountain on Mars. And I thought there was a line in there that I thought was pretty neat. You know, the, the, the captain said it would be the first battle on a foreign planet in, the hist- in history, which, uh, which I thought was cool. Oh, yeah. God, nothing happens around Mars. We would have heard by now. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first multiple things, right? The first planetary assault, the first um, invasion coming from Earth, the first planetary battle. Yeah, boy. Mm-hmm. Poor Mars. <laughs> uh, the human war just follows humans wherever we go. There we go. So the Tianan fleet is, maybe I should use a different word, not the Tianan fleet from the one-year war, but the, the, um, <laughs> the uh, thir- what, what do they call themselves? The 13th, exper- the 13th uh, Independent Autonomous f- Assault Fleet or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so the, the 13th fleet, we'll call them. You know, they're going along swimmingly. They're doing their reentry plan. And then suddenly the Minovsky particle density increases <laughs> just like the beginning with what happened to the Kobayashi Maru. Oh, and what boy. comes out, Isaac? What comes out is something I had no idea I would ever see again. (laughs) (laughs) Adsums. Odsums, however you pronounce it. Xeon sent Odsums, which, if you you don't recall, were mobile armors that were... How do I describe them? Four-legged, giant, purple kind of mobile walker, mobile armor walking type of kind of mobile bases but these ones were latched onto an asteroid and refitted for for space combat i I think the captain or maybe another officer saw this and um you know he clearly was familiar with it but he said really in space or something like that (laughs) yeah then they fired on them and it didn't work because because they they've been updated and they had uh been coded in the in the beam deflection coding i I would assume kind of like the uh hyakushiki so then, during that attack, who reveals himself to be the traitor? Bosh. Their, their squadron commander. <laughs> the reveals... man who told us the story about Amuro turns yeah. out to be the bad guy. Right. I was like, what? <laughs> you were a Federation pilot. What are you doing? <laughs> I wonder how long he's uh, had this plot going. Must have been a long time. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to work backwards. I was like, okay, was he a child of Xeon? <laughs> and then this was like a multi-generation plant or something like that, like a Soviet-level spy where they, they send you over as a kid and they just raise you? <laughs> or, you know, I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. And I was like, no, this guy, he's, he turned. He's a traitor. And yeah, I think even Novotony, I think, calls him a traitor or something like that to his face. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It, it, being a being a forty year plant would just be that would be Metal Gear Solid level plotting. Um, <laughs> so I, I agree. I think he had to turn later on. So he reveals himself to be the traitor. He you know he pulls a gun on the captain. He takes over the bridge of the uh, Admiral Tianum. He wasn't by himself. He had some goons. Does that mean yes. he convinced other people on board to join Xeon? Like way before the mission started, or were somehow Xeon troops snuck aboard? I they yeah. were Federation guys then, right? They had to be. That's the only explanation. I agree. We did not see them enter, so I would I just assumed that they were there the whole time. Okay. Um, because they were also, if you notice, they they had changed into their full <laughs> z- like Mars Xeon, you know, regalia. 
I guess they had the, no one yeah. noticed those like in the closet in their closets or something. I I don't know. <laughs> Nobody noticed them like the night before, just ironing their Zeon uniforms. <laughs> like, what like, hey, Lopez, <laughs> what you got over there, Lopez? It's like, oh, this it's uh it's memorabilia, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they were going to like you know, uh, the Universal Century equivalent of like a Civil War reenactment or something. <laughs> Like, oh, we need these for our our live performance role playing game where we pretend to be Xeon characters in the last war. Yeah, find us. Yeah. <laughs> and while this is happening, our our heroes have they're no longer on the Admiral Tiana because they're in this sort of like dropship that right, was mid yeah. mid reentry. And multiple they... dropships get sent out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This this whole mission was overkill for the yeah. poor Xeon remnants on Mars, and they kind of can't really do anything because their suits are strapped down. Uh, they're they're really not supposed to you know come out of the ship until they land on Mars. And so two of the ad, the Adzams land on their ship, and they're they're going to break the ship open and kind of you know kill all of our heroes. So our heroes decide to land the ship with the Adzams on them. That ends up blowing up the Adzams. And I think our heroes kind of pass out and we, we meet them again a little bit later once they've landed on Mars. But meanwhile, Bosch still has control of the Tianum. And so he starts shooting the Federation ships that resist uh, <laughs> his, you know, his, his call to surrender uh, with the Admiral Tianum, which is pretty sad for those ships because they were all, you know, the Tianum is clearly the biggest one in the fleet. And so the, the other ships are just getting taken out by the, the Tianum's big guns. Right, um, yeah. Although, kind of ends up not really working out for Bosch, because one of those ships he shoots down accidentally collides with, like, Phobos, which is, I think, one of Mars' moons. And that yeah. causes a bunch of rocks to fall over, all over the place. And then that, that actually takes out one of the other Adzoms, too. So, a bit of a <laughs> bit of an oops there on his on his move. We can't replace those Adzoms. <laughs> yeah, man, they're, they're uh, classics. We lost them in the opening battle. <laughs> We then meet back up with our heroes who have now landed on Mars, and they sort of get out. And who's coming to attack them but the Oldsmobile army? They pull a little bit of a feint, I think. So one thing I guess I would say is sometimes Gundam mangas, because you're you're looking at mobile suits the whole time, sometimes the action isn't super clear as exactly what's going on, as it would be if you're reading something with like human characters. It's a little easier to tell what they're doing. There's a lot of like machine parts in, in mobile suits that make it sometimes confusing. So did I understand that correctly? When they were on Mars... And the Oldsmobile guys came over to inspect their ship. They must have set it to self-destruct. That's what I pieced together, but I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gundam mangas are can be great. There's great ones out there. But I think one of the issues is the speed sometimes at which mobile suit combat happens is portrayed much better, ten times better on the screen. Compared to, you know, I know I know some people might be thinking, oh, you know, well, there's great comic books and stuff like that with, you know, superheroes and stuff. Yes, but in those situations, we're looking at human characters usually moving at human speed, and um, it's easier for us to sort of track as the story plays out in our mind. I know what Senior talking about exactly. Navi, is it's implied that she said an explosive, right? Because she's like their technical person, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, they, they blo- like, I don't know why these mobile suits all thought to... The, they stood on like the same cliff together or something like that, right? <laughs> if I was reading it right, like the whole squad of Xeon mobile suits decided to stand on the same spot, and then like the next frame, they're just they got turned into a mushroom cloud. Yeah. <laughs> so I was yeah. kind of like, well, I guess I guess they blew them up. Um, yeah. 
they're leaving and then Navi's like, oh, it's, it's wrong. She's, she says something like, I'm really glad, you guys are probably really glad you have like the, you know, the tactical analyst with you or something. <laughs> or it was really easy for a tactical analyst to do that or whatever, pen herself on the back. But I mean, very impressive, right? She, you know, using an explosive or the ship, she just took out, you know, a whole squad pursuing them. So, right. Yeah. MVP Navi right there. Uh, but then eventually, you know, there were clearly more Oldsmobile suits than just those that went to go check out the suit. So our heroes get sort of ambushed from the back and a, a Gelgoog starts to harass Navi. Navi's Jagan, her, her ST gun, you know, I don't think it's probably the, the most battle ready <laughs> mobile suit out there. So, right. you know, she gets sort of captured fairly easily. Um, she's really upset about that, that she was kind of useless. And we got some cool designs here. We got to see a, a sort of an updated uh, Gion. Right, um, yeah. Which it, was I neat. Mean, you know, we haven't seen one of those in a while. This one looks like such a visual improvement over the old one. <laughs> Just because, <laughs> I think it's called the RF Gion. I don't know. They redesigned the head, and the head looked much more cooler, much more sinister. It must have been a pretty high-ranked guy, too, because it had that custom trim on, like, the shoulder pads and, you know, parts of the armor that uh, only upper officers like Makuve or Dozel had on their right. mobile suits. So I thought that yeah. was an interesting little tidbit. Like, this guy, he was pretty up there. Yeah, yeah. I called him, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, he's got the royal shoulder pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I guess we should say, up to this point, sort of Sid has brazenly and unsuccessfully hit on Navi, but I think Navi and Def are clearly more of a thing um and so def is pretty upset that navi is being captured and he basically punches the gion in the face uh <laughs> and and knocks its head off yeah but then uh, he you know he goes to save navi but then he gets tri- i think the gion had a basically the goof's whip right which Something was neat. Like that. yeah some sort of whip cable thing and he pulled def away and, and def is for the first time forced to use the beam saber and kill uh, an opposing soldier and so that's what he does to the the guy in the Gion. And then meanwhile, up you know back above Mars, the fleet you know the the <laughs> fleet's not doing so well. Basically, all the ships are are broken at this point. From all of Bosch is firing on everybody, and even him and the crew they decide to just escape back to Mars. So they leave, and Nova Tony, or, or whatever his name is, he gets control of the Tianum again, <laughs> and then. Uh, Navi's getting her little tour. <laughs> yes. So then we pick up where we left off on Mars, and Navi is being held at the base, you know, where everyone was going. And she thinks it's a power plant. But what is it really, Isaac? This part was really cool. Actually, this whole little tour was cool because we see that, like, this is actually a pretty huge facility. <laughs> I think it was also cool that we see a lot of the pilots, like, they take off their helmets, right? And they're, like, <laughs> old men. Yep. And, you know, of course, you know, <laughs> these guys were with Xeon back in the day. So mm-hmm. it's been you know 40 years plus so yeah they're going to be pushing the uh, the limits there back to your question though uh the old mobile army uh marzion they've built a volcano powered mass driver and their plan is to use the internal you know pressure of the volcano itself which is i think it's also the largest volcano in our solar system or something like that they're going to use that to propel a, I forgot how many, a multi-ton. 84 tons. An 84-ton projectile at the Earth. So. 
it's a bit of a complex plan. Like, I wonder, I'd like to meet who thought of this because brilliant to use the volcano's energy, but at the same time, like, wow, really? This is what we've built? <laughs> yeah, they, okay. they said they said it took them 40 years to build this thing, which oh, I guess man. that makes sense given that it's on Mars. But, you know, I think they win a, a good prize here for creativity for a, an attempted super weapon. I'm not really sure if this qualifies as a super weapon given you you can't really fire it at will <laughs> and as we'll find out later you can only fire it once <laughs> so navi you know gets gets her to her we see the, the the weapon which they call the olympus cannon or the olympus mons cannon so def and sid you know they they make their way into the base to get navi back but then Sid, who who now because he lost Unit Two, he's now piloting a Garadoga Kai, which is a kind of a newer version of one of the suits we saw in Charge Counterattack. It's a Neo Zeon suit, and he gets shot from some, somewhere in the smoke from like a like a hidden a hidden suit. His Garadoga's arm gets blown off, and then we jump up to the fleet again, where Nova Tony reveals his plan to destroy Olympus Mons with a nuclear missile. So Nova Tony was like a weird guy this whole time to me. He kind of seemed like an inept captain. He kind of ignored Navi's logical conclusion earlier. And he just seemed real eager to use that nuke to like pull out the the big key and put it in the computer and turn it to arm the arm the warhead. His grip on sanity seemed to collapse after the after the coup on the ship. He got shot. I thought he actually died in that panel. You know, the way they kind of animated it, I was like, oh, that thing blew right through him. He's dead. I guess it was just a shoulder wound, but he managed to survive it. And yeah, that <laughs> this point in the storyline, he just got a crazy look on his face. He just wants revenge for this humiliation. Who knows what he's going to have to say to explain himself when he gets back. But, you know, the fewer witnesses, the better. <laughs> I also wasn't sure if maybe that was his mission from the beginning. Yeah. But even then, why would you go with the dropship plan if you plan to nuke it when you just nuke it straight away? I, I don't know. It seems like a very Federation approach that, okay, we're going to use our numbers to attack. That didn't work. Okay, nuke anybody on the ground, even if it's our own people. <laughs> 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 and then we'll walk away and we'll win. <laughs> so. Yeah, so Nova Tony, he's, he's arming his nuke. And then we cut back down to Mars where the hidden suit that shot Sid. And, you know, at, at this point we think maybe Sid has died. And Def is super fired up at this point, and uh, the uh, the hidden suit reveals itself to be a red redesigned F90, uh, presumably Unit Two that we saw get stolen by the the Marzion earlier in the story, and it has beam saber drawn, and uh, there was a nice touch I liked in there. Not only had it been modified the design a little bit, they made it red, but in the first battle, Unit Two's shoulder armor had been blown off uh, by one of the Oldsmobile suits, and they had replaced it. Now with a more Zionic looking shoulder armor on that one arm, which I thought was neat. Did you did you catch that? Yeah, that was pretty cool. And um, what do you think about the red coloring though? Does this mean Bosch witnessed Char during Char's counterattack? He saw that red mobile suit and was like, you know what? I think I'd want one in the future. <laughs> I definitely think you know red red or green evokes Zion, and given his proximity to the Axis shock, I'm sure he Char's counterattack holds up. Maybe that's what converted him. He was like so impressed by Char's mobiles. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get one of them sasabis. Yeah, so it turns out that, you know, Bosch is piloting the, I'm going to call it the Red 90. And, you know, it's, from this point on, it's basically a duel between Def in the F90 and Bosch in his F90 Unit 2, or the Red 90. And 
Bosch's suit ends up being really fast, faster than than Def's suit. Um, and Def, at this point, we didn't we didn't mention this, but the the F ninety has these what are called hard points, which allows it to equip all this optional, all these option packs for depending on what you wanted to do. Um, so you can have like a sniper version or a, a, a they call it the assault version that, that flies or the co- close quarters combat version. And at this point, I believe the sniper pack had been equipped because he he had um, it was like really big sniper cannons on his yeah. on his shoulders, right? But you know he's in this really small close quarters base, so he couldn't really do much. And so Bosch was kind of fighting circles around him here. And then, to total surprise to me, in during the middle of the battle. The Olympus Mons cannon fires. I thought Def was gonna, you know, defeat this guy and then go stop it from firing. But no, we see Olympus Mons erupt. They shoot the ball into the the molten rock into the air. Did you were you did you think the cannon was gonna fire? No, I thought they were gonna destroy it, and then I was kind of happy when I I realized, oh, they actually fired the weapon because these these Xeon pilots, this old mobile army, they're clearly um, genre savvy enough to know that you fire your super weapon. You don't wait for the countdown. Yeah. Just launch it. And then whatever happens afterwards happens afterwards, but <laughs> the mission is complete. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, so Def wants to know what, like, why did you do this? Did you, did you plan this? And Bosch says it, he didn't plan it, but it, it's a conspiracy that goes back decades uh, to infiltrate the earth government. And but you know regardless, Def is pretty mad that he killed Sid, or he, at least he thinks he killed Sid. But Bosch again, he's super fast, so he pins Def, and Def gets mad and pulls a uh, what I would call like a, a Shiro Amata move. I think he ejects his like sniper equipment like into Bosch's face basically to kind of get him off him, which I thought was a good move, right? You know, there's right. nothing else he could have done. Throw your backpack uh, at the enemy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then we cut right back up to space. We see Nova Tony. Someone on the bridge tells him that, hey, something's coming our way. And Nova Tony doesn't really seem to care. But then the guy goes, no, you really need to know because of the mass of this thing. <laughs> and then what happens, Isaac? <laughs> it destroys the Admiral Tianan. <laughs> Admiral Tianan takes the, the Olympus shell yeah. of molten rock to the face. And Nova Tony and his nuke kind of just go up in flames. And then that's the, that's the last we ever see of him. Ironically, the nuke <laughs> probably stopped that object, right? Yeah, I was going to talk about that afterwards. The mass of the Admiral Tianum, you know, I don't know if it would be enough to redirect the course of the, of the Olympic Mons bullet, I'll, I'll call right. it. Yeah, I'm not sure. They didn't really show that. We don't really know what happened. Uh, I, I, although I assume that throwing it off course even a little bit would probably make it miss Earth, given how far away Mars is. You know, even if you change the angle by, you know, 0.01 degrees yeah. or something. <laughs> Let me just let me just chime in, even though I support Xeon, let me just give a critique. Right after they fire it, the Olympus cannon, like an announcer says, evacuate the base. <laughs> and I think Navi puts it together that, oh, the the firing of the cannon sort of destabilized. Oh, no. I think they announced that the reactor was damaged by firing the cannon, right? Right, the yeah. Base is, the base's reactor was damaged. Right. So everybody's on borrowed time. And, you know, if you're in the base, get out. Going off that, does that mean that since their engineering skills were so flawed that they they damaged their own reactor just firing the weapon that they spent 40 years building? Uh, Maybe we're giving them too much credit, and there's no way that thing's headed towards Earth. They think it is, but their math has to be wrong. (laughs) It it could be a, a combination of the fact that mobile suits were fighting in the facility, too. 
I don't know. You're right. I, I, I assume they were hoping they could at least fire it a few times. Maybe they underestimated the force of the eruption. Apparently um, they did because they damaged their own <laughs> reactor and they have to evacuate their one base. <laughs> Where are they going to go? There's no. nowhere to go. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah, Nova Tony and the Tianum, they get taken out by the Olympus shell. And then we cut back to, you know, we, we get to see the finale of Death versus Bosch. And they, they start getting a little philosophical. You know, Bosch says, you wouldn't understand this war. And he stole the F-90 because he, he's wanted the power of a Gundam since he saw the light emit from the new Gundam pushing back Axis. And they start arguing about the different systems and the mobile suits, which turn out to not really be that important because he claims that Def is only one up to this point due to the AI system and the F-90. And then Def just kind of says, screw you, and he slices off the Red 90's leg. and But then the Red 90 shoots the F-90's head off, and they're sort of both damaged. And then in the Red 90 attacks from above. Def in his in his headless F90 raises his beam rifle, just like the final shot from the original Mobile Suit Gundam of the RX-78 shooting the, the Charles de Young. And that's kind of the conclusion of the battle. What did you think about the use of the final shot again? I thought it was cool that it would come back. Um, <laughs> in a way, Bosch got what he wanted, right? I mean, he wanted to see the power of the Gundam, and there you go. You're going to get it exactly how it ended at the end of the one-year war. <laughs> yep, yep. especially given that the final shot was actually made by the Gundam, the original Gundam's AI computer. Um, so I, you know, I guess that's fitting. They were arguing over whether or not the AI was uh, responsible for, for Death's piloting skills. Mm. And then eventually you know, we see Sid, uh, who survived, and Navi, they're outside the base now, and they're the base is not looking too good. <laughs> Obviously, it was destabilized, and everyone left. And uh, the F ninety comes walking out. It's got no no left arm, no head, but Def is is alive. And then it ends on a really weird note. What are your thoughts on this? Earlier in the manga, Def had said that Navi's eyes looked familiar to him, and then on the last page, he says, "Oh, by the way, I remember why they look familiar. I've seen your eyes before in the eyes of of Amuro Ray on the battlefield." And I was like, "Oh." That's kind of weird. What did you take away from that? Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. I couldn't really understand that. I thought to myself, oh, he must be, you know, someone of note that these cadets would have learned about in, like, you know, I'm sure he was drilled into their heads at the academy. (laughs) So they've seen his picture multiple times. But then I was like, did they meet him? Wouldn't that have been such a critical point of the story that, like, we would have seen that flashback at the beginning or something like that? But I don't know. At that point, the, the story was over, and, and I had I had other questions, Brian. Like, where did the Marzion go? <laughs> where do, you evacuate a base. Where do you go? And how are they going to get back? You know, can that dropship reach Earth? I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It, it must have been a weird situation, right? Because the Marzion evacuated the base, and then our our heroes evacuated the base. Wouldn't they both just be outside the base and continue fighting? I mean, they still don't like each other, right? I mean, did, right. they, did they both just fly in opposite directions and agree to fight another day? Uh, and then I, I agree. I, I guess at this point, we don't really know how, how much has been developed on Mars. I mean, clearly not as developed as, say, Mars is in the uh, Iron-Blooded Orphans universe. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. At least as far as like our heroes getting home, I think it's implied at the end that they were in that dropship and they were good to go, going somewhere. I guess I read into that 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 ship did eventually come to Mars that was supposed to meet him there to get him home. 
And uh, you know, <laughs> going home oh, now, the they have resupply a, ship, right? Yeah, From, yeah, the resupply that ship. was talking about, yeah, yeah. But and I guess going home now, they have a lot less people to to supply, given that <laughs> their their whole fleet basically was pretty much gone. But yeah, I, I agree. I don't know. I, I wonder how big the Marzion is. Are there, I mean, you know, do I, they have a lot of reinforcements, or was that it? I took the fact that they they essentially, <laughs> Def essentially walks into the base. I took that to mean that they had almost nobody left by that point in the story. That like they really kind of blew everything, you know, in the initial battle in the in space. Yeah, taking out whatever was left of their troops when they went to go search the dropship that and Nalvi rigged that explosive. That seemed to be it. You know, it really didn't look like there was that many people or at least mobile suits i don't know who actually built the the weapon itself and the construction team and all that maybe they had a musai laying around or something that they could hop in well musais can't leave the atmosphere yeah, there must have been a <laughs> god we're just grasping at straws i'm grasping at straws trying to figure out where there's a kurgan on there yeah kurgan on there somewhere everybody's jumped into zanzibar <laughs> yeah that we didn't see like you need to tell the supply ship the supply fleet that a zanzibar's out here flying around <laughs> yeah so i don't know it, I, I almost wanted like an extra couple pages where you know we see like the resupply fleet land maybe or something like that and you know we see uh zeon guys in in handcuffs or something you know that would have made more sense or something but yeah I, it ended and i was like I really doubt that dropship has enough fuel <laughs> and supplies to get them to Earth. <laughs> but I mean, for what it was, I'll, I'll buy it. You know, we'll, we'll go with your theory that that resupply fleet's just chugging along to Mars, and they're they're gonna ration their food and link up with it. Any particular thoughts on the characters? You know, there's really only I'd say five major characters in this, in this story. There's Def, Sid, Navi, Bosch, and Nova Tony. Since this is such a bite-sized manga, I'm glad we didn't get bogged down in such a, you know, in, in some type of, I don't know, pointless character development. Like a, a, a love triangle that was filled with lots of arguments or something like that, right? They could have mm-hmm. easily done that, but they didn't. Instead, Navi, you know, you're the tech professional. Yeah, so your fellow pilots in your squad have some feelings for you. You know, Sid, you're kind of a goof. Def, you're you're almost a blank slate, Def. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like he, he's very he's very much like a video game protagonist, right? Where there's not a lot of personality, so you can kind of put yourself into his shoes. Bosch was Bosch was probably the more interesting character, I thought, because yeah, what a unique idea, really, for a villain, because he was with the Federation, then he went over to Xeon. So we I don't think we've really seen too much of that. So that was interesting. Nova Tony was very much a, a corrupt Federation officer that we've seen before. <laughs> I don't know what they do at that Federation Military Academy, but wow, <laughs> they really make some some bad uh, ones. They put out some winners for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Def he was he was a likable character, but he seems very young, at least in, in terms of his piloting career. He, I mean, he hadn't even killed anyone at that point or before the story started. So maybe he could be skilled in the future. Um, but yeah, this this seemed like real early on in his story. Sid, I agree, bit of an oaf, bit of a like a terrible like a womanizer, but he's terrible at it. I, yeah, I think Navi and Bosch were probably my favorite characters, particularly Bosch, given like you said his motivation um, being unique. And Navi was just super useful the whole time. She was like the the voice of reason amongst all the characters. Yeah. Uh, Sid and Def were always doing something stupid. And yeah, Nova Tony. He shouldn't be in charge of anything. Um, he's just <laughs> eager to nuke things, I guess. 
Um, in his defense, actually, was the nu- I don't know even know if the nuke was needed, right? That reactor was going to blow. Uh, yeah, you know. for sure. Yeah. Imagine if the reactor blew and he nuked it. That would have been fun. <laughs> Something interesting about this story is that it's called Gundam F90, but really the only link to Gundam F91 is that it introduces us to miniature mobile suits. In that's, SNRI. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, SNRI, yeah, SNRI, but there's no Crossbone Vanguard. They're barely at the frontier side for longer than, like, a few pages. (laughs) And, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Like, they decided to not even do, like, a little skirmish with early Crossbone Vanguard or anything like that for Mm -hmm. this this plot. Yeah, and that's probably because people out there have read other sort of... I don't want to call this a prequel to F91, but it, that's kind of what it is. You know, a lot of the companies do that. They'll put out like a prequel comic book or something. Like Marvel does that a lot for the the MCU shows. Like there'll be a, a prequel comic to Avengers or Ant-Man or something. And if you go read it, it doesn't really impact the story of the movie too much. It may just inform it a bit. And I think they do that on purpose. You know, they don't want the movies to be beholden to the comic books or anything like that. So that that's kind of how I... In, interpreted that because I agree. There's not. Yeah. It gives you just a, just enough about what has happened in the Universal Century since Neo Zeon, but it, there's not like anything that you need to read here in order to see F91. If you enjoyed F91, if you're a Crossbone Vanguard fan or a Seabook Arno fan or anything like that, <laughs> you might be disappointed by this. But if you go into this as just a Gundam fan, running a uh, sort of a quick, essentially a side story, you know, a fleet on a mission, a group on a mission kind of a one shot it's it was really fun i'm glad we did it and um if we didn't do it i don't think i would have written it or read it <laughs> on my own volition <laughs> there was one thing i want to bring up about def if, if you so in the manga i thought def had black hair but then if you go look up a color a color photo of def <laughs> they give him blonde hair i don't understand that at all do you I mean, yeah, they had to literally tell us that <laughs> they painted the Gundam F90 that Xeon stole red. You know, otherwise yeah. it just looks like a dark Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I like I went through the whole thing assuming Def was, you know, brunette, black haired, brown haired or something. Yeah. But, yeah, you pull up his picture and he's blind. <laughs> it makes no sense. You know what, a... Brian? I'll tell you what happened. What happened was after this operation, you know, it was it was quite an experience for him. So he. He's going to act out a bit. He's going to bleach blonde his hair. <laughs> he bleached it. <laughs> bleached it. There you go. Against regulations. <laughs> um, I think the only real suit that we should talk about, probably from a mecha perspective, I mean, look, there were a bunch of Jagans. There was, we already talked about the the Mars, uh, Zeon, uh, Gion. Yeah. We talked There's about the Ad, Adzoms. Yeah. Really, the star of the show here is the F90, right? So what did you think right. of the Gundam F90? I feel like... It was exactly what a one-shot manga Gundam <laughs> should be. It didn't give us anything that was revolutionary that later on we'd be like, hey, why is the Federation not pumping out those? It was very almost basic. It was it was a visual Gundam. We looked at it. We knew it was a Gundam. But overall, it didn't have anything that stuck out too much. So I, I'd be surprised if there's a lot of people that are F90 fans. <laughs> because it doesn't really do much that's unique compared to other Gundams. I even thought maybe we'd see like kind of like F91. It's able to make that cool silhouette or whatever. Mm, yeah. But um, we didn't really see that. It's it's very much a prototype. The only thing that's unique about it, I guess, is it's the first you know miniature mobile suit. It's a small Gundam. 
That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoyed the F90. I thought it was a decent design. I think it's, at this point, there's been so many Gundams in that style. It's hard to do sort of like, like a basic Gundam and, and differentiate yourself at the same time. I did like that it had more blue on it than normal. It reminded me a lot of the Alex, uh, which is a color scheme that I like. This did also spawn like a bunch of model kits. I think there's over 20-something armor packs. Like In the manga, there's only they only show three. But in like the, the model kit designs, there I think there's over twenty. They have just, they always do that for yeah. every mobile suit, every Gundam. They're like, oh, you know, there was a there was an armor pack that was actually a side one or something, <laughs> right? Yep, yep. That's how you can tell that this series was designed to hopefully sell some model kits with this hard point gimmick, you know, where you can attach stuff to it, which I thought was pretty cool, you know, in the series when he finally puts on the armor pack. I thought that was neat. Yeah. Uh, I do I do like the unit two colors. It's very much like the Titans color scheme. It's only in a few pages given that it gets stolen pretty much right away in chapter one. But what did you think of the red the red F ninety? I could have used a little bit more red. <laughs> <laughs> not not quite red enough. No. <laughs> I mean it looks okay. It it's just I don't know, it's kinda odd seeing like a red Gundam like that. You know the the white parts on it? What if yeah. they left those dark? Because right, this, this was Unit Two, which was did have the dark, sort of more Titans color scheme. I think if they had kept the red but left the other parts dark, it would have looked a little more menacing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I felt like the white parts were kind of, mm, it was too white. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a I don't know a Spartan Gundam, Roman soldier Gundam, yeah. something. I don't know. You could have made it more Xeonic, you know. Yes, you pointed out the cool little shoulder pad detail, the Xeonic spike, but not enough color was changed on it for me. It ended up looking not so much like a Gundam, but more like um, some unique mobile suit. So if you are a fan of the Gundam F90 design, they did just release a Master Grade in 2019, and they are now selling at least five, six, seven, eight of the different armor packs as add-ons that you can, you know, turn your F90 into the A type, the D type, the B type, the S type. A lot of the ones that were not in the manga. So there's one with a really cool looking sword thing, um, you know, that we didn't see in here. So definitely, if you like the F90 and you want some mission, some some armor packs, that new Master Grade looked pretty cool. It was a, I think it was a, a premium Bandai exclusive. Um, so it probably will, you know, it's going to be not the cheapest Master Grade around. Um, and then the the, the extra armor pack is probably going to run you another 30 to 50 bucks, depending on where you buy it. So choose your armor pack wisely, I suppose. Again, I believe the one that uh, Def actually uses is the sniper type, the S-type. Uh, that's the one with like the Gatling gun hands and the big cannons. And then I think the one that we see on like the cover or one of the one of the covers is the D-type, the one with all the missile pods. Do you remember that? The destroyed type, yeah. which is a terrible yeah. name. <laughs> man i mean the the federation loves to do this and you know what they win wars so i guess it actually works but yeah when you make your mobile suit adaptable by just slapping things onto it 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 apparently wins you wars <laughs> i would like to see a maybe not a master grade but maybe a, a re one reborn 100 version of that uh gion because there's not that many gion designs i mean there is that one master grade of the original gion from probably 10 years ago now but it's terrible because um, <laughs> hey, there's some gyan fans out there you know yeah but like <laughs> they're few and far between <laughs> are you a gyan fan comment below tell me why 
<laughs> you are, and if you are a Gion fan, did you like the the update to the Gion in this in this series, the the Remnant Forces Gion? Anything else on this uh, on this series, Isaac? If you're on the fence about reading it, if you have the chance to read it, just go for it. It was a fun ride. It's very short, and it, you have to view it as a side story. It doesn't require you to know anything about the Crossbone Vanguard F91. You barely need to know stuff about the One Year War because. It's really from the perspective of pilots that are so young, they didn't really experience it. At the end of the day, it's very much a short space fleet on a space mission type of type adventure. And I, I really recommended it. I had a good time reading it, and I think most people will too. It was cool. All right. How many Haros would you give it? Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it ambushed. I'm going to give it four out of five Haros because okay. I don't read a lot of manga, Gundam manga. And I really liked how I went into it blind, and I was so happily surprised. It was a fun little story. So, yeah, for giving me a, a nice little digestible adventure, you get four to five. I'm going to give it seven and a half horrors. I'm going to keep it to my ten scale. <laughs> I liked how uh, self-contained it was. The characters were overall likable. It did not overstay its welcome. I was worried that maybe we would get bogged down with too many characters, um, given that it was such a short manga and that didn't happen. Uh, the, the designs, they were good. They weren't uh, like amazing or anything. What was your favorite moment, Brian? <laughs> Ooh, my favorite moment. Um, or a moment that stuck out to you, I guess. My favorite moment, I think, was when the, the, Olympic, uh, the Olympus Mons cannon fired because I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> And then I also happen. didn't expect. <laughs> and then I also didn't expect the the shell to to destroy the Admiral Tianum. So that that one was good. That that part was good too. <laughs> Speaking of didn't expect to happen, my uh, you know, part of my French, my oh moment was when Bosch revealed himself to be the traitor. <laughs> Definitely. Was that your favorite moment? Yeah, I was reading it. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like him. He's the traitor. I thought for sure it was going to be Sid or Nova Tony or both of them. Lovable, you know, Bosch who told us the story about Amro. Yeah. He's like, all right, you guys are going to make great pilots one day. (laughs) By the way, I secretly support this space fascist organization. (laughs) Yep. Uh, So one last thing I'll note is that so Gundam F90, you know, it is 30 years old at this point. It was never licensed for distribution in America. So it was not officially translated to English. Uh, it is, however, very obtainable. Um, I won't tell you where to get it, but I'm sure you can figure it out. <laughs> a, cr- a creative um, person could locate manga online, Brian? <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny. There are a few more pre- or F91-ish era manga that I think we're going to try to explore here in the podcast. You know, there's there's another one, Silhouette Formula F91, which is also from the 90s. There's also Gundam F90 Fastest Formula and Formula Wars 0122, plus, of course, Crossbone Gundam and all the Crossbone Gundam sequels. Uh, we'll try to explore those as we continue on in our UC Next uh, 100 journey, or the next 100 years of the Universal Century. If that's where we're going to go with new Bandai shows. I mean, me and Isaac, you know, I think we want to be prepared. I don't know, re- read all the established lore before we get to the new stuff, so brush up on our outdated <laughs> late uc side stories <laughs> yeah what's crazy to me is that you know we probably read about f90 20 <laughs> years ago, ago. <laughs> and it was still 10 years old 12 years old depending on when we read about it back then and now it's even older but hopefully you know gun modern gundam fans if you're if you're a fan of the universal century hopefully you give it a chance check it out it's kind of neat 
You should, because whatever team was in charge of this, I don't know if they did other manga or whatever, or involved in an, an anime or any other thing involved with Gundam, but um, it was a very well-designed, compact um, adventure that you can knock out in one sitting. So, can't recommend it enough. Don't need to buy some Gundam series that's, you know, 90 manga volumes long. Just Just check this one out. You'll have a good time. So, Isaac... You know, because this is before F91, this is well in the path of the UC Next 100 project. Would you like to see this animated as a as an OVA? I'm not sure. And how many episodes do you think this would be? Because it would have to be pretty short. It would probably have to be shorter than 0080, I would imagine. Yeah, I would say you could do this in three. Yeah, right? I agree. We, we mm-hmm. do almost Act One, Act Two, Act Three, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally like that. I'd like to see it again. But I'd like them to polish it just a bit more, add add just a little bit more to maybe the the logic of the story and explanations and um, answer some of our lingering questions at the end, and it'll be perfect. It'll be the perfect little three part miniseries or uh, two and a half hour, you know, OVA. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think any more, t- any longer than that, and it would overstay its welcome. That would lose one of the strengths of the series that it was nice and short. Yeah, definitely. And they'd be filling it at that point with pointless stuff like, you know, in the three month journey to Mars, they're having some type of lover's dispute on their ship and it gets really slapsticky and kind of silly. And eh, yeah, we don't we don't yeah. need that. <laughs> yeah, please. No, no. But yeah, spice up the battles, maybe extend them a little bit. I think it could I think th- a three episode OVA would be perfect. Yeah, you could do a bit more on the ship as far as keeping us guessing who the possible traitor could be, too. Maybe yep. introduce more characters there or something like that. I don't know. Make it a whole mystery if you want. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. There you go. Again, if you're a Gion fan, if you're an F90 fan, let us know in the comments below. So hit that like button, subscribe, and you can send us comments on YouTube or on Twitter at Colony Dropcast. Also, <laughs> leave a comment about what your theory is that happened to the projectile. Does its collision with the Admiral Tiananmen cause it to fly off course? Was it never going to hit Earth? Um, is the resupply fleet going to be able to track it and just blow it out of the out of space? <laughs> Knowing the Federation, is it actually on a direct course to Earth? But at the last minute, they'll I don't know make anti-projectile Gundam and then they'll send it out in its own side story to fight this <laughs> this lob of molten magma heading towards yeah. Earth. <laughs> Send us your side story ideas for what happens Ooh. to the, the Olympus Mons shell that's floating out there. Gundam volcano bullet. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right. See you next week. Bye. Take care.